Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing. It's episode number 442, and we're recording live on December 4th. Abriana, how are you? How was your Thanksgiving? What's going on in your world? I am good. I uh, my Thanksgiving was great. Great family time. Good weather. Went to South Carolina with my parents, and um, and it was fun. You know, we did like the whole southern thing. We did like a hayride, and you know, ate too much turkey and stuffing, and it was fun. I was ready to come back though. You know, you guys do like pie, like. Yeah, we, I mean, you know, my mom cooks like everything, so yeah. there's no shortage of pumpkin pie, pecan pie, uh, carrot cake, you know, like. Here it's it. pumpkin pie, right? That's the Thanksgiving thing, but like, I, I would imagine pecan pie is like a thing, like Thanksgiving thing. But, yeah. yeah, that's big here. Sweet potato souffle, that's probably okay. my favorite thing. Yeah. Big. Nice. Um I don't know, you know, like it, it just depends. Every family that kind of has some different traditions, but like we do more of like the Southern style food for Thanksgiving. And then for Christmas, we do Noche Buena, which is like our big Cuban feast on Christmas Eve. So yeah, I just need to like be consistently going to the gym or else I'm going to. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. So how are you doing? You've been traveling a bit. Yeah, I'm good. It's uh, It's been a little hectic uh, the last couple of weeks, um, you know, coming back from Australia, being away, trying to catch up. And then last two days at a big data AI marketing conference here in Toronto, which was really good, well-organized, a lot of great brands sharing kind of how they're using AI to uh, just automate processes, improve customer experiences, um, you know, just uh, mashing data up in different ways. Like it was really interesting, like a variety from Walmart to McDonald's to, um, you know, insurance companies kind of talking, sharing case studies. It was, it was really interesting. And, and even Pinterest uh, was the opening keynote on day one. And uh, they're doing some really interesting things and in kind of how they use it to uh, recommend, you know, products and images and you know, manage their, you know, their whole service. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really cool. So, yeah. So I'm back, uh, just focus now in, in Vegas next week for the, um, the MJ Biz uh, conference, which is the, the world's largest cannabis conference, like 30,000 plus people um, getting ready uh, to kind of network around the new, the new company. But yeah, all good. Busy time. Busy time. So let's jump into it. We've got three industry news stories for you and three member news stories. Uh, and as always, if you have story ideas, we, we'd love to hear about them. If you've got uh, news that we should be sharing, let us know about it, of course. Um, and uh, as we mentioned, like just the other week, we're now on, uh, pushing the podcast out through Anchor. So it's available on Spotify and iTunes and LinkedIn on our website and number of different places. So, uh, you know, find it on one of those, uh, you know, and give us some, uh, some stars, some likes, some, you know, whatever, some feedback. We, we really appreciate that. So, all right, I'll let you kick it off. Bob. We're gonna... All right. So, um, you know, this is the season to be eating and also drinking. And this is a story about wine. Um, you know, this is kind of interesting. Apparently 20 to 30 year olds think that wine is boring. 
Um, at least that's the story, according to this um, company right. called Winery Tail, uh, which is an AR app. Um, and they are working with about 500 plus different wine brands across the globe. Um, and they have created these um, experiences, I guess, within the app that you can scan the wine label and see some more information about the wine. They think this is what's really going to get those 20 to 30 year olds. Um, so you download the app, you scan the wine label, and then you can get information on the brand. You can do like a winery tour, you know, see video footage. You can get food pairing suggestions, all of these different things. Um, and then they are talking about rolling out location-based services next year in 2020. Um, and they want customers to be able to share information and gather information as they move, you know, throughout locations or travel. Um, so, I mean, from my perspective, I think that, uh, yeah, this, um, you know, the location piece of this is kind of interesting to me. I enjoy wine, but I can tell you right now, I'm probably not downloading an app. Um, I'm not in the 20 to 30 year old range, however, but I'm pretty sure that what 20 to 30 year olds want is not an AR wine app, but they probably just want to get drunk on the cheap. I mean, that's what I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I don't know that wine is boring to them either. I think that there's plenty of 20 to 30 year olds that drink wine. Maybe wine knowledge is lacking. I don't know. To me, this is just not really um, a great execution of AR. And I don't actually think that it's going to have any uptick in that demographic whatsoever. Um, you know, having to download a new app, you have like a lot of, obviously, um, there's a lot of barriers to the entry. Um, and I just think it's going to be, I don't know, it's kind of a bust for me. It's a lot to invest in uh, technology and from a branding perspective and content creation perspective um, for a few downloads. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this. Like, I, I, I mean... I'm a big fan of augmented reality. We're going to talk a lot about augmented reality on, on the show today. Um, I think there's great ways to use it. I'm not sure this is is a, is a really effective one. I think it, it's, uh, you know, no matter what the age is, whether it's 20-year-olds or 40-year-olds or, or whatnot, like I, I think, you know, when they talk about scanning the thing and finding, you know, from a location-based perspective, um, you know, where that wine came from and whatnot. Like, does it not say on the bottle, like this is from Argentina or Italy or France or what? Like, like how much more do I need than that? Like, do I, like, do I really care it's from like this little region, in, you know, like. Not um, when you're 20 to 30 years old, you don't. <laughs> you don't, right? Like, you know, like I think when you have high disposable income, you're a bit older and maybe you want to travel and do wine tours or tastings and, those kinds of things, then that stuff might become a little more interesting um, and a little more valuable. But I, you know, to me, it's not, I'm with you. I, I don't think, you know, wine is, is uh, about being fun. I think it's, it, you know, in that sense of, you know, sort of digital marketing. Um, I think it's, uh, it's probably something for that age group that's, you know, like we're exploring, we're discovering, we're trying things, but you know, at the end of the day, we're just, you know, we just want to have a good social time with our friends. Um, and so it, you know, for me, I, I think maybe the, you know, the focus should be less on kind of looking at the origins of the, of the product and more on how you can use the technology potentially to share your social experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, in drinking wine with others, um, and and then ultimately how the brand can can kind of benefit from that, because um, that might be your monetization opportunity here. That, you know, in in the sense, other than you know, I, 
like to me, it's one thing when you talk about food labeling, right? Uh, and you go into the grocery store and people are looking for organic and locally grown and sourced and, you know, those kinds of things, then location and origin of, of product becomes really important because people are actually seeking that out. I'm not sure this age group that they're going after here is seeking that out uh, in this category. So the only thing I was thinking that they may be interested in is that I think that, um, it's different. The, a younger demographic is a little bit more about um, educating themselves. So I think they're a little bit more choosy on how things are sourced or um, whether they're like responsible for the environment or yeah. you know, the type of people that are working there. Um, you know, are there, are they like fair wages and all of those things? I think they're more interested in that likely than they are the actual like wine tour and all of that jazz. So, I mean, for me, I think that if you just show like the story behind, you know, the reason why the wine is better or is it organic wine or whatever that combined with just younger people enjoying wine, like you said, and give them opportunities to generate content rather than the wine brand spending yeah. money on generating and, content. And they do have a bit better. of that, anyway, right? They, they, they do have this thing, like a fan wall thing uh, for sharing content. So I, I, all I'm saying is, is, you know, I'm not saying like this is completely terrible. I'm just saying like, I don't think the sort of AR aspect of what they're trying to do here is is the key to this. I think the, the real key to this is sharing the social experiences of, of the, you know, 20 to 30 year old uh, drinker and, and, and how the brands can kind of participate in that. I mean, I think you're being a little kind because I think it's almost completely terrible. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll move on. Um, our second story. Uh, so I've actually kind of two stories in one here, um, uh, both about uh, a brand that uh, maybe at least to our American friends uh, might have forgotten, Toys, or, Toys R Us, um, which is still uh, has stores and still operates in Canada, where I am. Uh, there's actually one not too far from our office right here. Um, they are in the Canadian operation are the first to uh, use Snapchat's uh, portal lens uh, technology, which again is an AR technology. Um, and so they've created this experience starring a 3D version of Jeffrey the giraffe, the mascot of Toys R Us, who guides them through a uh, maple leaf portal uh, and into a virtual store. Um, and basically you can kind of walk through this thing. It's all in the Snapchat environment. Um, and they've integrated their holiday toy guide catalog uh, into this uh, with AR features through the Snapchat lens. You can scan snap codes, uh, you know, sort of in the, in the toy book, in the catalog. Um, and you see a virtual version of uh, Jeffrey the Giraffe kind of leaping off the pages of the, of the catalog. So here's my thing. All of that is great. Uh, you know, I think this is from a, fan kid experience uh, point of view you know interacting with the catalog you know when we were kids you know, I remember flipping through the toy catalogs the paper catalogs and loving that and picking out and circling everything that I wanted which was everything um, and uh, so like sort of digitizing that creating some AR experiences around it I think is cool here's my problem with this story though this is snapchat like how many kids are on snapchat like you know and so they say like a you know, like it, it's, I don't know, like my daughter's on Snapchat, my son's not on Snapchat. Um, and, uh, you know, and he's 13. And, and so, like, I, and I think they, their official policy is it's 13 and older for Snapchat. So, you know, if you follow to the rules of Snapchat sort of age restrictions, you know, how many people are you actually, how many kids can you actually engage in this who care about toys? 
because most of the kids who are sort of 13 and older, I'm assuming they're into electronics and, and video games and other things other than toys and, and, and interacting with Jeffrey the giraffe. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with you. So I think that the demographic that this would actually reach would be an older demographic and maybe they're interested in some of the, um, you know, the portal lens features on Snapchat, but it's definitely not going to have anything to do with Jeffrey the giraffe. I was thinking, you know, when you said the whole like through the maple leaf portal, I was like, well, maybe they should just go after the kids parents and make it like they should just combine your two worlds, right? Like they, if they did it like through the cannabis leaf portal. And then you had like this guided Jeffrey the giraffe, like psychedelic experience for parents. They might be down for that, okay? But like, I mean, seriously, like this is so weird to me. I think that it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. What I would say a step up from the last story because you are working with an existing app and you already have, um, you know, a user base, but it's likely not the kids and it's likely not the parents, right? So it's somewhere in the middle. So there's a little bit of a miss for me on this one as well. Yeah, and, and it's not like, I'm not knocking the Snapchat AR lens, uh, portal and stuff is, is amazing. And I think lots of brands should be using it. I just, this particular use case, you know, of, of Toys R Us and kids uh, who, your target audience is under 13, uh, in yeah. my opinion. Um, is not a good fit uh, for this particular application. And, and I know Snap, Snapchat's had a lot of great success with this already. Like they've got 70 million uh, users interacting with AR lenses every day. 70 yeah. million. That's a big number. And they've got great brands who are taking advantage of that. I'm not sure this particular brand is the right fit for it with the demographic that they're going after. Another quick sidebar story is just this week, um, actually, uh, 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 I think it was late last week anyways, uh, Toys R Us sort of re-entered the U.S. market as well. Uh, so, you know, they've sort of been uh, figuring out how, they're, how to restructure. So there's their new owner, which is a company called True Kids, um, who bought Toys R Us and the brand and, and the mascot uh, and all that sort of stuff. They opened a store in New Jersey uh, last week, and they're opening a second store in Houston uh, on December 7th. Uh, what's cool about this, though, is that they are uh, these stores are all about play they're all about experiential uh, environments where the kids can kind of come in and um, you know sort of play with the actual toys and then you can't actually uh, you don't actually buy the things there you don't walk out with the, with the product um, so what happens is is that in these stores you kind of go and experience the product and kind of see what, whether you like it or don't like it and then it's all ordered sort of online um, through ToysRUs.com uh, using a QR codes kind of scanning thing that you do on, on the checkout process. And the fulfillment, here's the cool part, the fulfillment of all of this is done by Target. Hmm. Interesting, right? Um, really yeah, so it's really, really cool to kind of see this blend of building an experiential play environment store to kind of uh, market and promote the products. And then have the fulfillment done by a you know sort of a big retail brand and their their online e-commerce uh, piece uh, in Target, uh, uh, kind of uh, making that all happen. And the revenue stream for True Kids now, who's the operator and owner of the Toys R Us brand of these stores, is that the the brands themselves, like the the, the product brands like Hasbro and you know Mattel and all these these companies, they actually pay for space uh, inside of these uh, experiential stores. So the kids can play an, an, an experiment with their products. And that's how yeah. the kids makes money. So uh, um, 
but the actual uh, purchase of the product itself goes directly, all the money goes directly to the actual brand. Yep. I mean, they've been doing their experiences, you know, the pop-ups yeah. as well. I know that they have one here in Atlanta. I think it's still going on. So yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the transition that they're making and like this reignition of, of the brand of Toys R Us here in the States. And I think that the way that they're sort of positioning themselves is good overall. Maybe not the Snapchat feature. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So this is just sort of more of an announcement than a story, but factual. And, um, you know, they've been in the location space, audience space for a, a long time now, and they've updated their audience product. Um, and they are adding something that is predictive loyalty audiences and they're using um, machine learning. So they can say like, this is what's going to happen, you know, in this type of an industry or this type of a vertical, they're kind of using all of their uh, machine learning to say like, we're predicting that these, uh, this audience will be buying a car in three months. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so they have now added uh, more than a hundred ready to use audiences in these various verticals tied to uh, prediction, obviously, and loyalty. And this is in addition to the over 1,000 audience segments that they already have, which I would say are not predictive, but just based on um, recent data. So um, an example, I was looking at some of the examples that they gave and they were saying like you could say consumers who are likely to visit an auto dealership in one month, in three months, in six months, you know, based on their intent to purchase um, with their predictive modeling. So. Um, I think this is interesting. You know, I think that a lot of the data that uh, companies tend to use is obviously historical data, even if it is in near real time and you're getting it on an updated basis. I think that especially in the automotive industry, sometimes when you're looking at people who have been to an auto dealership, they have likely already purchased by the time you can create your audience and reach them with your media. So you know, predictive and um, intent data is really important. So I think that it's thoughtful. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, it's a natural progression for what actual already offers. So yeah, I, I like it. I think it's a it's a good move for them uh, in sort of packaging up the data in, in these types of predictive uh, models for certain verticals, uh, and they have these loyalty audiences as well. Um, in, in you know different segments of kind of brand loyalists or cross shoppers and so on. But for for me, I think the challenge with any of these things, whether it's factuals or or anybody that's trying to do this stuff, is how you build the, the revenue structure around this because, you know, if you're a, a customer that wants to leverage this type of audience data, this kind of predictive audience, let's say the auto shopper, let's say you're a car company or something like that. Um, you know, is this a one-time purchase uh, a, a, of a set of data that then you then use for, for ad targeting? Um, you know, and, and then your relationship with factual is done, um, you know, or do you have to continually renew that and refresh that data on an ongoing basis? And what does that look like? Right. So I'm interested, I'd be interested to see how the sort of how the pricing and revenue side of this looks, um, you know, for kind of buying these audiences on, on an ongoing basis. Yeah. I think a lot of times what, uh, players like factual will do is they actually just pass the audience to the media provider. Yeah. Um, and so they will send it to them so that if you want to use it again for future campaigns, you have to purchase again, but I could be wrong. Everybody's. Yeah. You never know. All right. So that's our three industry news stories for this week. Uh, shifting uh, now over to our member news section. Uh, and I'll kick this off with a story about 7-Eleven. 
these guys seem to always be in the news. They're always innovating uh, and trying new things. And now uh, they've launched something called Seven Voice. Uh, so we've talked a lot on the show in the last little while. We know the, the research data um, you know, that we did earlier in the year and, and a lot of new data coming out from Comscore and others are talking about, you know, uh, how voice is uh, and voice search is, is kind of, you know, reinventing everything right now. Comscore is predicting 50% of all search next year will be done by voice. That's a big number. Um, but um, so 7-Eleven's launched this thing called 7Voice, uh, which lets customers order uh, through its 7Now delivery app using Google Home or Amazon Echo. Um, so basically, simply, you know, using voice commands can order a variety of beverages, fresh uh fresh and hot food, snacks, cosmetics, you know, whatever kind of products you want that are sold by a 7-Eleven convenience store. And then it's delivered to your home within 30 minutes, all enabled through voice. Um, the first order, if you're the first time you're using it is free. And then after that, regular delivery fees are a flat fee of $3.99. So pretty simple, but pretty, I think pretty effective, pretty could be, could be highly used by a lot of people. Yeah, when you need a Slurpee, you need to voice that over right away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this is good. I think this is smart. Uh, the name Seven Voice, it sounds like something that uh, that I hear when I walk in the door, and I've only got two kids, but I'm, I swear there's seven of them. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that um, you know, voice is really escalating, and I think about how I am conducting searches on the go and certainly like looking for things all the time. Um, and, you know, if you really like need your 7-Eleven food in a hurry, yeah. you know, I think that you could also think about moving towards like a flat fee model, like an Instacart does, you know, you pay this much a month and then it's free delivery for orders over a certain amount kind of a thing um, versus like every transaction. But they're probably just starting to test this out. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, voice is the way of the future, right? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think it's a good move for, for them. Uh, they say it's available in more than 34 metropolitan areas at the moment. And um, yeah, um, th- that's the seven now service, uh, sorry, the delivery service. Uh, and apparently they've already done more than 1 million deliveries. So wow. that's pretty good. All right, let's move on to an AR story that I don't hate this week. It doesn't completely suck. Okay, so um, Adidas has been testing um, AR in London. So they opened a new flagship store on Oxford Street, um, and they're introducing these AR experiences through Instagram. So basically, there's just some posters that the customers can interact with, and they can scan the posters and get these uh, virtual like experiences. They can learn more about products. Some examples would be there was one, um, Adidas apparently is like the official match ball of Euro 2020, um, for their soccer ball. And so they did a, um, like an AR game where, where you could kind of play and like kick the soccer ball into the goal. And, you know, it was like interactive. Um, and then they also did one with their, uh, they have a, a, a shoe now that's 100% recyclable, which is, or recycled, which is really cool, made from recycled materials. And so it's really just like an, inter- it's sort of like an interactive video that you can just watch and, and see how it's looping over and over again to see how the shoe was created, kind of moving from the plastic discarded, you know, bottles all the way to creation. Um, so they did this in collaboration with Facebook and the Spark AR platform. 
So um, from my perspective, I think this is a much better approach to AR. I think it's providing some level of an experience, even if it's not anything groundbreaking or super exciting for me. Um, I think that it's a minor investment for uh, you know a company like um, Adidas to do, right? So you're not making people download an extra app. Um, Instagram already has a pretty great reach, uh, demographic and, you know, worldwide, obviously. Um, and they're already, they're building on platforms that are already available. So you're not having to bring in a lot of like outside technology, um, and, you know, create all this extra content. I think the biggest takeaway for me, honestly, was that, you know, this is something that they can actually like share within their stories on Instagram. So I, as a consumer, I go in, I interact with this poster and I share it within my stories on Instagram. So it's giving them free content and, you know, free publicity and, uh, you know, anybody can go in and do this. Um, so I like this and I think that it's uh, valuable that it is somewhat temporal so they can change these installations if they want to, you know, they can update the posters, create new experiences and they're not really, you know, I don't think that there's like a whole lot of a setback from a financial perspective or from a timely perspective. So to me, this is sort of, a, you know, an AR win. I'm not sure that it's actually boosting sales, but I think it does boost the in-store experience for customers visiting. And um, I think that they were thoughtful in their approach. Yeah, I, I like it as well. Um, you know, don't have a ton to add to it. I think my, my, my general thought on it is I think it's great from an experiential perspective. I think it's, it's a great way to kind of keep uh, customers there and increase the engagement with the brand, um, you know, folks who are in the store and so on. Like to me, when I see stories like this, um, you know, I think this is what shopping malls need to do in general, right? Like uh, is create these experiential areas where brands, you know, maybe on a rotating basis, you know, in a Westfield or, you know, in a Simon property or whatever, you know, can kind of come in and go through these sort of experiential ways to play and interact with brands. So, you know, in a, in a similar way to going back to the earlier story of, you know, kind of what True Kids is doing with Toys R Us, um, you know, letting, in this case, adults, uh, you know, well, it doesn't have to be adults, but you know, it's not going to be little kids necessarily going in here without their parents, but letting people play and experience the brand and understand the brand and, um, you know, feel like they're part of the brand. Um, and I think that, you know, malls can actually, uh, like look at a story like this and kind of, you know, find ways to take this type of technology, which everybody already has on their phone, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you know, you're not asking them to go download something, you know, that you purpose built, uh, for this. You're, you're leveraging technology that everybody already has millions of people are using. Uh, and you're just building experiences and ways that they can participate in it and then potentially ways that they can create content and share that, uh, which helps your brand or helps, you know, your property, um, you know, sort of, you know, grow the base uh, even further. So I like it in that sense. Yeah, I think, you know, I always, the, the conversation around experiences and, and the temporal factor always makes me think of um, Vegas. I think it's the Bellagio maybe that has like the installations that are always changing seasonally. Mm -hmm. And so they have like that big hall when you walk in that you can kind of go in and in the fall, you know, there might be like something with like talking trees and the leaves and, you know, something really beautiful. And then, you know, around Christmas time, it's going to change and it's going to be something else. And um, so I think that it's really interesting how, I mean, I really despise Vegas, but I think that piece of it is cool. 
<laughs> like, you know, just kind of experiencing those things and things that are changing within department stores or within malls or within shopping experiences. They have a draw for people to come back in and, and you know, see what's new. Yep. So, yeah. Very good. Okay. Our final story this week, uh, moving over to talk about our friends at American Express. Now, way back in 2014, Amex acquired a company called Resi. Uh, Resi is a, uh, was a platform for uh, is like a CRM restaurant industry kind of booking uh, platform, and sort of table management, you know, sort of a type of um, reservation system, if you will. Um, so they acquired that back then um, and kind of have been operating it since. Uh, so the platform works with about 4,000 restaurants, uh, 10 countries, um, and uh, a lot of different cities around the world. So apparently uh, 2.6 million diners a week uh, use the platform today. Um, and so Amex has basically now kind of rolled this out uh, as uh, kind of their own restaurant booking uh, tool uh, connected through the Amex uh, mobile app itself. And so uh, it allows Platinum Card and Centurion uh, members to search, book, and manage reservations at more than 10,000 restaurants worldwide. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's, uh, and they've got uh, Book a Table and Seven Rooms as partners in this as well. And um, yeah, so it, it, for, for me, you know, I think it's a good move for Amex. You know, they're well known for sort of these um, platinum card dining experiences and kind of special offers and, and you know, special, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, cardholder only seatings at certain uh, higher end restaurants and things like that. And I think sort of getting the uh, reservation and management booking piece of it directly through the Amex app, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, because at the end of the day, it's going to drive, you know, more, you know, more transaction volume uh, for them. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot to say about it uh, other than why did it take so long? You know, 2014 to now is a long time, it seems. But uh, anyhow, uh, I think it's a good move. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's always, like you mentioned, you know, Amex is always trying to create better experiences and make it, you know, like it is a perk to be an Amex member. Um, on every level because there's different things that you can do and you know the cards give you more benefits than others and yeah. get you in places and have it you know it goes back to the experiences that they're providing right um, so going sort of beyond like what the traditional you know credit card does so I mean I do like it I do wonder why did it take them you know so so long to get here and introduce this and then my other question is you know why from a business perspective, why they would choose to limit this only to those platinum card holders. Um, because it seems like it's a, it's an opportunity, not only from like a data generation perspective, um, and I've, I guess like a understanding the consumer's preferences and sort of like what drive them and what they're interested in, um, and, uh, the ability to better connect with, with card holders. So that's my only thought is, uh, you know, why I, maybe they're just rolling it out with platinum and then they'll, yeah, for other people, I don't know. Beyond that, so the ones who, the ones who are not so, so uh, high level big spenders like me. Here you go. The regular people. The regular Amex holders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our show for this week. Uh, three industry news stories, three member news stories. Uh, as always, uh, we love doing this and kind of uh, 
trying to recap the, the news in the world of location on a week-to-week basis. Uh, so we thank you for listening and watching. Uh, you, this has been episode number 442. And of course, we'll be back next week with yet another show for you. Uh, please bring us story ideas. Please give us feedback. Uh, give us likes. Give us stars. Whatever you want to do on the platform that you're consuming this. And of course, share it with your friends too and your colleagues. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.